Right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? The shout for handball. He's in, clearly. And he tee up someone in red. In he goes to one. It's a one-trap pass! What about that? Welcome back to the Nations Football Podcast with myself, Joseph, and my co-host, Owen. Hello there, welcome back, everyone. Uh, we had a bit of a mare coming on before coming on here today, haven't you, Owen? Haven't got your headphones, have you, brother? No, no, it's been a bit of a chaotic day in work. Um, pretty busy running around, and then I've left my headphones in work. So hopefully it's all good, and they're there when I turn up in the office tomorrow, but... I've got a standing pair, so it's all good. Um, Joel was saying I look more like John Motson today now. Yeah, we've both got these big, bulky, almost like gaming headsets on, basically, which we, we used to record off and uh, and chat to each other on. And they do look a little bit like the old-school pundit sort of uh, attire, something you'd see one of the fellas in the country wearing, um, minus the sheepskin coats, of course. But I think it's still a look, which uh, Owen obviously doesn't, um, as he made quite clear earlier. Um I suppose that says a lot about you, Owen, doesn't it, in your fashion taste. Don't know what trendy really is. Uh, I think um, you're too close to the valleys. I think that's a problem. Uh, I, I'm I'm just where I want to be, Owen, thank you very much. I'm no association with that part of the world. Um, anyway, let's get into football chat anyway. Uh, so we usually start off, as most listeners will know, uh, chat about a bit of English football and we, we go into the Scottish stuff. But this week we thought uh, it would be almost... It's kind of unavoidable not to speak about it really after the events uh, of, of the past week uh, in, in the Premier League and that is um, VAR and handball decisions. Um, it's been hot on the lips of, of everybody in the media, fans, players, pretty much everybody's got an opinion on this topic and we thought it would be only right that we had ours. Um, there's been a raft of games and incidents to, to, to talk about. Um, we, me and Owen have been sort of catching up about this prior to coming on, on air and um, I'm sure a lot of you would have been discussing various things in the office, in work or, or, or at home, you know, you know with your family. Um, it, it, it's crazy that the, the volume of decisions and poor decisions that have been made this week alone um, in the Premier League. And uh, we, we just wanted to have a little delve into, uh, into, some, of, into some of the games as we usually would, but really drilling down into these incidents and, and, and having a look in here in a little bit more depth. And um, I thought it would be a, a good starting point, really, would be the, the Brighton and Manchester United game because, of course, it was the, the early kickoff uh, on Saturday and, and it, it produced um, probably one of the most memorable games of football the Premier League has seen um, in a long, long time. Yeah, um, of course. Um, that was a hell of an intro, so I'm not really sure where to start with that. But, yeah... The Manchester United-Brighton game did have a hell of a lot of talking points. First off, before we kind of go into them, I think we should mention that Brighton played very, very well and looked like a very good team this season before we start talking about anything else. Well, you know, I've been like, sort of waving my little Brighton flag, haven't I, the past couple of weeks. Uh, ever since the Chelsea game and the opening game of the season, I've really enjoyed watching them. And uh, to the point where I was, I turned the TV off in outrage when they went 3-1 down uh, to Chelsea because I really wanted them to to do well in that game. I thought their performance merited a lot more than what they got from it. They lost 3-1 in the end. Uh, but the likes of Tarek Lamptey, 
Um, you know, he had his first showing in the Premier League. He's gone from strength to strength in the last couple of games. And um, yeah, Brighton just a wicked team to watch. And I think you're right. They 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 carried that form over into the United game, which was just unfortunate about the results. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that they look like a team who could have a really decent season. They've had a few seasons, obviously, where they've almost been fighting relegation. And under uh, Graham Potter, you see that he's got a team together and he's proven that he not only is he a very good manager, but that he's got a very good team. Aye, and I'm very conscious of uh, heaping praise on, on ex-Swansea managers, as you, as you know, Owen. But um... Yeah, of course, that's the only praise I'm giving him. We're not talking about Graham Potter anymore, the jack bastard. But he does play very good football, and um, yeah, credit to Brighton. They've they've come from strength to strength, and uh, and they've gone from really having a sort of team that was maybe mature and maybe a little bit overage, to now they've got some real quality players in there. Um, and I really like Neil Maupai. Um, I think he he's brilliant. Obviously, Lalana, I'm a massive fan of, and like I said, Tarek Lamptey, Trossard. They've got some really good players in there. But um, speaking of Neil, Neil Maupai, um, he was the man in in question. Um, regarding uh, the incidents that we're referring to in this game. So, um, as Owen said, it's a very enthralling game of football. Brighton played fantastic. Really outplayed Manchester United, it's very much fair to say. Man United scored some terrific goals, it must be said, uh, in one including a Marcus Rashford goal. Um, brilliant ball by, by Bruno down the left-hand side, tore into the, to the box, I think. I said to you at the time, Owen, didn't I? I think maybe White could have done a little bit better, maybe not gone to ground, but take nothing away from Marcus Rashford. He's got a great individual goal in this game. Um, but yeah, the going to the incident. So, would I believe this happened in the 95th minute of the game, Owen. Is that correct? It was around that time? Yeah, yeah. It was literally... It, so, we're talking about the penalty in the last second. Well, yeah. It, so, yeah. United have the corner... It comes into the box. Maguire makes a header. It looks like it's going into the top corner, but for a great header off the line by a Brighton defender, the ball is then cleared and the final whistle blows. Then the referee is alerted to a potential penalty incident, which Maguire was already claiming from the off, in fairness to him, even as the ball looked like it was going into the the, the top corner of the Brighton net. Um, And... You know, for the first time in 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 football in history uh, and, and in Premier League history, um, the 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 game, the the penalty was awarded after the final whistle. Uh, I would like to point out this has happened before. It's happened in Germany. There's, there was a game that was actually ended and players had left the pitch and then came back on for a VAR call. So it's happened before. It's just that we've never seen it in the English Premier League. I wasn't aware of that one. To be fair. It's not actually, it's not as, so basically games are allowed to be restarted following a VAR check despite the referee having already blown his whistle to single to signal the end of a game. So it's not, um, I don't actually think, um, so basically there is no time limit for a review on a VAR call. Um, And so it isn't actually that odd to see this happen it's just that we've never seen it happen in the English Premier League before yeah and I think it was the the, uh, it, the context of the game as well um, Brighton had just scored a, a last minute what looked appeared to be was going to be an equaliser um, and you, you know for that for that to have happened it was it was just a crazy match um, and it was kind of no surprise that it almost it came to that end uh, in a way but yeah I don't think 
like I said, I've never seen a football game when you've seen the final whistle blow twice. And um, I was very conflicted over that, as you said at the time. This is uh, putting my my detest for Manchester United aside. I I would have I would have said this for any team competing in that game. As soon as the final whistle blows, in my eyes, the game is done. And I I I found it very hard to accept. I'm sure the Brighton players. Okay, first off, the final whistle to me is actually not that important because it's it happened so quickly after the final whistle that the call is made. So. For me, I'm not actually that fast about the fact the final whistle goes because when it hits the Brighton attacker's arm in the box, it is in play and we are playing. So, um, And it is, for me, it's also a clear handball. His arm's out in the air in an unnatural position. The rules of the game... Yeah, not not in not instantly though. If When it was playing live, the, it was not clear that he has handballed it. Well, I'm I'm not... The referee, I wasn't on the pitch. In in real speed, I don't think because the referee, the referee definitely didn't see it because he wouldn't have blown for fu- the the final whistle. Uh, well, yeah, but that's kind of that. It kind of doesn't even matter whether whether you can see it in real time or not because that's exactly why VAR was introduced to for calls that the referee can't see in real time. So they so they uh, basically. In theory, it makes the game fairer because decisions that the referee can't see because the game is happening so quickly are core. So I mean, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with the penalty. It is it is a clear and obvious uh, handball. The way he moves his arm towards the ball as well. He's never getting uh, to the same height as Maguire. He's never getting anywhere near it. It is definitely a penalty. What I mean is, at a first glance. I mean, I was just so concentrated. I thought the ball was going into the top corner. I don't think anybody really, hand on heart, could have said that they noticed that handball straight away. Maybe Harry Maguire, because not even the Man United, other Man United players are claiming for it. Only Maguire is. But that doesn't matter. That's to be honest with you. That that's what I'm saying. That doesn't matter. So so here, right? We're talking about the fact that we want to discuss VAR, right? Okay. And we want to discuss the handball rule. Right, okay. So first off, in terms of the handball rule, um, it's obviously a definite penalty. Before we go into anything else then, Joe, do you think do you think that that's harsh that that is a penalty or in your or in your mind do you think like trying to um separate the two for a second? In your mind, is it har- is it a harsh that when you put your arm out like that and you're that close to the action that it that is now a handball and a penalty, or do you think that is a correct decision? Because because he's he I think he's actually made the movement. He wants to try and impede the ball or the man in some way. He's he's not gonna get he's not getting to the ball, is he? Let, let, let's be honest. Um. So yeah, I I think I think it is a correct decision, and I, I wouldn't dispute that. What I think is harsh is that the 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 final whistle had blown, and then we've been and then it's been brought back i mean even on some people's betting slips i wonder how that worked out uh, i to be honest with you i think you're making too much of this the fact the final whistle went because we've got var the var is in place to make sure that correct calls are made um things happen in football a lot like there could be a whole other passage of play and the ball could go out there could be a var call and a penalty could be given like that's that's the rules of VAR. I think the the players and the managers, um, they should at least be very much aware that if 
a decision happens in the last second of a game, then VAR will look at it. Um, I, I'm i kind of of the thought process that if you're abiding by the idea that VAR is in use and you're abiding by the idea that VAR works, then the fact the final whistle went, to me, is kind of irrelevant because the final whistle was the next stoppage in play. So had it, had it gone out for a corner, the VAR call, they would have stopped then for the VAR. Or had it gone out for four and they would have stopped then for VAR. So the next stoppage in play was a final whistle, which meant that was the next chance to have a look at it. Because he can't, you, he couldn't, he couldn't stop play. He couldn't, he couldn't blow up and say, "Oh no, VAR check." All he could, all he could do was either blow the whistle, and wait for the ball, or wait for the ball to go out of play again to have a VAR check. And time had gone, so he couldn't, he couldn't wait for more of the game to go because it was the end of the match. So. By blowing the final whistle, he knew then that that was time to have that final VAR check. Yeah, for me, I think the referees refereed it well, and I think I I don't think it's an issue that the final whistle had gone. I I can kind of see what you mean, and you make a very compelling argument there as well. It must be said, but I just think uh, you know, like you're you're saying, if it goes up for a corner, for example, there's another set, there's another phase of play then to to come. This is like. The final whistle is definitive. The game is it is no more. And maybe it's just the fact that it's the first time that I've seen it that I find it shocking. And maybe you know, and maybe a lot of people agree with you. Not many people were disagreeing with the fact that they dragged it back. I think it was just like I said myself, maybe finding it a little bit odd. And I, you know, I I I play rugby and I watch a lot of rugby as you know, Owen. If the final whistle goes in rugby. The the final whistle goes, and 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 that is it. And that is also a game which uses. Um, video technology and has done for a lot longer than football to greater success. So you know, I just try and find those. So sorry, Joe, Joseph, to stop you there, but I am um, before we kind of um, miss the point. I wanted to ask you a question. In rugby, if you were to score a try in the last second, um, and the then then it would then the eighty minutes would be, then be up, so the game would end once that try was scored. If the referee originally gives a try, the referee can still then go to the video replay to see if the try was correct, even though it's the end of the match. And so it's the same thing. It's the same kind of thing. It's it's the last passage of play in the match that he is looking at. So if, for example, someone scores a try in rugby, but their foot's over the line in the 80th minute, the referee blows up and says, oh, no, you've won. And then he's like, wait, oh, no, go, to, go for a video replay. Oh, no, your ball, your foot was in touch. Try does not count, end of match. Yes, but then there's still a definitive end to the game. There's not another phase of play after that. No, but there wouldn't have been a... Had, had the VAR call come and he'd not given the penalty, then that would have been full time. Yeah, I can kind of see, I can kind of see your point. I'm maybe thinking of specifics. We'll have to come back with a stronger, uh, a stronger example to give you there, Owen. But um, you do make a very compelling argument, I, I, it must be said. And, and to be fair, I'm not disagreeing, like I said, with the penalty um, or even the officiating because actually by the letter of the law, he's followed it and you, you managed to clear that up within two minutes of him giving the decision on, on Saturday when we were actually discussing it live and I, I, was, I, I was in disbelief then. Um, so yeah, I I can kind of see it again. I think maybe it's just it's just shocked me a, a little bit, um, and and it wasn't the only sort of decision that shocked me this weekend. Um, there's quite a few uh, incidents we can have a look at. Um, I, I I think the 
the other big one that was that was made um, has made a lot of people upset was the Eric Dyer incident. Um, he when he went up went up for a header with Andy Carroll, um, and you know he got his he's got his header again completely wrong, very similar to Neil Balpai. However, this felt a lot more uh, innocent uh, than, than than the Malpai uh, incident uh, because. Eric Dyer essentially had his back turned to uh, Andy Carroll when the ball touched his arm. So Andy Carroll's gone up, won it, headed it back um, towards Eric Dyer, who's got his back turned, and it's hit the back of his palm and bounced away. Um, that's been given it as a penalty for an obstruction. Um, that is, again, that, that so a point you made earlier, Owen, when you were asking me, do I, do I think uh, the decision was harsh? Um because of the distancing, yes, that is a prime example of when you have to use your bonds a little bit. Um, common sense tells you there's nothing that a boy can do. He's in very close proximity, his body positioning, his arms, the way he has to utilise his arms to be able to project himself up into the air and jump. Everything is natural about what he's doing. And it was a shocker of a decision. One thing I'd like to say is, so the rules of the game are... Currently, the new rules of the game are if your arm or your hand is in an unnatural position when the ball hits it, then it is a free kick or a penalty, right? Okay, um, these are just the rules of the mat of the game, whether they're right or wrong, obviously can be debated. So the rules of the game are that if your hand's in an unnatural position, so basically if they're not down by your side, then it's a penalty or a free kick. What that rule doesn't seem to take into account that you can't run with your hands down by your side. You can't jump with your hands down by your side. So what, like, it It seems that the people who have made the rules have never played a game of football in their life. Um, I was watching the Spurs game um, against Newcastle. And after the penalty, I was, like, I was thinking to myself, how do you jump? Like, you can't jump with your hands down by your side. Like, for me, the, the rule doesn't make sense. And for two, surely if the ball is within a yard of you, surely you'd have to be a hell of a goalkeeper to save it with your arm deliberately. So surely it's always accidental when it hits your arm from a yard away. Yeah, and like we said, it's understanding the the law uh, or, or the, the way the law is written, isn't it? I think it is the difficulty here. We keep on bringing it back uh, and um, they're doing it a lot on obviously the analysis on, on TV or wherever you may watch. Um, in terms of how you need to position your body in order to react to certain situations, defensive movements and the way you position your body defensively is very different to how you would do so in an attacking sense. And you will get penalised for the ball hitting you in the arm in certain when your body is positioned in a certain way if you're a defender that you wouldn't if you were an attacker. So in a way, uh, you know, this is it off. It is, it is benefiting the attacker. In a lot of ways, I think Graham Souness made an interesting point on um, on the weekend where he said he he's kind of in favour of the handball rule because he believes it'll bring out more mistakes, more penalties, more goals. It favours the attacker, whereas things like the offside rule and other things which have been tightened because of VAR have sort of restricted them in in many senses. The think about the amount of uh, offside goals that were given uh, a even a season or so two seasons ago when we were having those ridiculous lines drawn and and you know all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it it, it it's an it's an interesting one. But I think leaving such an open interpretation for a referee to make on such a uh, judgment call 
at such a fast pace, you know, um, I think is almost impossible for somebody to get right. See, that's the point. I think that's why they've brought in the rule is, is it's not a judgment call anymore. If the if the defender's arm are in an unnatural position when the ball hits it, it doesn't matter from how close, then it is a free kick or a penalty. Yeah, but it eliminates it eliminates the need for rational thinking then, doesn't it? You, not, they're not actually assessing the proximity of the players, and that the, the 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 ref should be looking at this stuff all the time anyway, because you got you should be having eyes for the ball and the area where the, the the game is actually being played. So it's not like he's being asked to ref anything outside of what they're actually trained to be observing anyway. Well, for me, it's as if it's as if the air and the people who make the rules are like referees are stupid. So we need to make the rules really black and white, and they've almost made. I think people have been saying for a while. We need to make the rules more black and white. It needs to be more clear cut so it's easier to understand. Um, but I think maybe you were wishing for the wrong thing. Not you personally, but one was wishing for the wrong thing. Because by making it so black and white, you're taking any kind of decision away from the referee. Every call that the referee made um, over the weekend in terms of handball, the penalties given um, in the different matches, were by the letter of the law, they were the correct call. And the referee didn't have any kind of say of, was that deliberate? Were they too close to the ball? Um, is his arm up there because he's jumping and that's the only place he can put his arm? All those things kind of were, are now out of the question because his arm's in an unnatural position. It hits, hits his arm in the penalty box. It's a penalty. does not matter how close he is to the ball when, when it comes to him. It does not matter whether he's just jumping for it. Because that, the rules are, if your hands and arms in an unnatural position in the box, then th- that is a penalty. So, so it's very clear and it's very black and white. The referees have made no mistakes in terms of those. But what the argument is, is that a completely utter stupid rule that has been brought in by people who wear suits and not football kids. And, and that, that, that's what I sort of, uh, one I've, I've got on my notes for here, and, and, you're, and you're touching very much on hero in his, um, I mean, you know, what, what, who should have a say in, in who makes the rules? Because it, it, it's not coming, it, it comes from a governing body. Um, I can't remember, it's like the POMDD or something who write the rules for the Premier League, um, uh, uh, basically sanctioned for the FA. Um, so yeah, it's right. This is who has the input, who agrees. Surely the 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 this power should be with the players. If you if you uh, get player consensus on what they believe that the the handball rule should be, as well as referees, coaches, the people that actually matter who are involved in the game, and everybody can come to some sort of agreement. I mean, I suppose it it might even differ the interpretation from country to country. In the Champions League, you'd have to have a standardised one, which everyone would have to adhere to. But then, as we know, European football or big Champions League games, they tend to be refed and played very differently to what we see in domestic leagues anyway. And, and teams sort of tailor their approach because of that. Um, and that's not something we want to see happening in domestic leagues. But I think the only way forward is if you get the players together and you get everybody to actually agree on what they think is a handball. And, and and move on from there. So there can be no these disputes, but certainly at the moment it's ridiculous. So, but the only but the other issue we have is we're three games into the season, and we have this handball rule in place. You can't change the rules during a season. 
So the rules have to stay in place. The handball rule has to stay in place now for the whole season. Because, so for example, Joe Ward handballed it in the, in the game against Everton. It was given as a penalty. That's, okay, whether that's right or wrong, in the letter of the law, that's the rules, that was a penalty. So what happens if later on in the season we change the rules and then there's the same handball uh, in the box which would, over earlier in the season, given Palace a penalty and now does it. So they can't change the rules. Like the rules have to now stay in place for the whole season. Well, I don't see, I don't see why they can't change them or give referees a different directive. Personally, I, I, I they, they have the capacity. No, but then you're moving the goalposts. You're moving the goalposts, so to say, during a season. Surely, surely you start. You've got to start the season with the same rules that you finish the season with. You can't change the. Can't change the rules, but these are just—they would just be reverting back to rules that they played with last season. This is not. No, no, because but then if you have the same handball later on in the season, that is then not a penalty. Then that's not fair and that's not consistent. I I think that that's just how it is. I mean, let's let's talk. You just touched on a very good word there, consistent. So if we look at um, some of the incidents from the weekend. Um, you mentioned the, the Joel Ward one, for example. I think that is a penalty, personally. I think there's enough of a distance. I think his hand has touched the ball enough to, to affect the play, um, to warrant the penalty being given. But that's a, another subject. One, one we haven't talked about is the Diogo Jota goal for, for Liverpool against Arsenal. Um, it was a great goal. He's brought it down on his chest and volleyed it first time. But there seems to be... He's got his hands in that sort of... They're just by his ribcage, aren't they? Just in front, sort of front side. Now, he hasn't actually handled the ball and it hasn't affected the way that he's controlled the ball and it hasn't benefited him in any sense. But if that's a defender, that's a penalty, isn't it? If somebody shoots the ball, if somebody shoots the ball at a defender and their hands are down like that, as they were for Jota, and it hits him there, that's a penalty, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think it is. Yeah, if your arms... So it's not consistent. It's not even consistent. Like, a, it's not consistent. Like I was saying, over if you're a defender and an attacker, you have to play by different. You're playing by different rules anyway. It, it seems, it, and and it's not consistent. Is what is what I'm saying. It's not consistent for every player on that pitch, and it should be. That's how the rules should be. It's how it applies to everybody else. Um, and and I I don't see why they don't just scrap and say right, we go back to where we played last season. Don't worry, we got a load of decisions wrong. You can't, you know, how many teams have had a slight against them in football? Every season, bad results and good and good results, or bad fortune and good fortune, has a way of working itself out evenly. Unless you're Manchester United and you get 22 penalties in a season. Right, that's all well and good. Um, but then obviously all 20 teams need to agree on it. But actually, the only handball, the only handball decision for me over the weekend that was actually incorrect was the Eric Dyer one. As you say, I, I actually think all the other handballs were correct. I think the Brighton penalty in the last second, uh, when United's penalty against Brighton in the last second was correct. Everton's penalty against Palace was correct. But yeah, but the Dyer one wasn't correct. Surely, surely in no, in no world is... How can you be accountable? You've got no eyes for the ball. It was um, another good one was uh, Victor Lindelof um, against Crystal Palace. That was a, that was a joke. Um... Are you like tried to chip it up and he's you know he's turned he's 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 turned his body swiveled left and then swiveled right. You've got to get your arms out to sort of balance yourself. Do you know what I mean and coordinate yourself. He's got no chance and that was a harsh one. So, but this isn't 
This isn't even like a new thing though. Um, I remember during the World Cup, there was these stupid handballs where players were jumping with their arms in the air because that, that's how you jump. And then from really close range, it was hitting their arm and then that was given them as a penalty. And it seemed like VAR and the rule makers realised that was stupid and they kind of changed it. And now we seem to be going back to that where every time it hits your arm in the box, it's a penalty. Like, we seem to be going back like four years. I, I just, last season, we weren't having these discussions about pet handball. VAR, work in progress, of course. Hand, the handball situation wasn't an issue last season. I don't know why they fucked with something that wasn't broken. I, I just, it baffles me. I, I think people just do it to give themselves work. They must do. Yeah, I don't really see why the rules needed to be changed that much. Baffles me. It baffles me. Do you think they get bored? What's that? Do you think they just get bored? Yeah. And I think they do. I think somebody just <laughs> needs to find some work for themselves. But there we are. I, you know, I'm sure. Sorry, before we kind of go on, the room makers, right? Every single one of them should have been made to stand up and say, all right, then. What I want you to do is I want you to run and jump and, like, hit a target with your head, right? And try and do that with your hands in a natural position down by your side. You'll not be able to do it. So how the fuck do you think a footballer can run and make a header with their their arms down by their side? Yeah, it's just, it's nonsensical. It really is. And I'm sure this won't be the last time that we end up talking about... Um, th- this topic and like you said though, it, it might be around for the whole season so I'm sure we're going to have uh, a lot more memorable moments to uh, to speak of but in, in fairness uh, out of all of this carnage like you said Brighton and Man United one of the most memorable games of football you, you'll probably ever watch um, so yeah there we are and that was, is a, you know why we watch football it's an entertaining business uh, first and foremost isn't it um, anyway let's talk about some actual football now I mean um, they, they, we, we won't go into depth into every fixture as we normally do um, but there were definitely a couple of fixtures in the Premier League which I think need to have a mention um, so uh, the, the one I really want to, want to talk about is, is Leicester hammering Manchester City um, I think quite rightly so everybody was surprised by um, the nature of that result I think especially after seeing uh, Riyad Mahrez crack that uh, beauty in after I think it was only three or four minutes into the game I sat there thinking here we go and then Leicester um, yeah I, I mean I, I, I don't really know what word to use uh, to um, to bespoke some praise on him I think they were absolutely fantastic they were they were really good they they punished Man City for every mistake they made they um, I mean they obviously scored a hat-trick of penalties in this match, but even still, they still had to get those decisions. Fardy doesn't do a lot in games other than score, but he scores. And his his second goal in this match was a joy. As we, like, flick. Um, but, um, yeah, it was lovely um, past um, Edison. Um, another boy, though, who hasn't really had that much of a mention, um, well, by us recently... Um, we talked about Harvey Barnes, obviously, we talked about Vardy, but James Madison had a great game today and scored a, a not today, but it, yeah, what a player. I think there, there was, there's a few boys in uh, that Leicester side now as well. Um, we did touch on them last season, didn't we? Uh, quite a bit, I, I think, and we discussed the you know the, the likes of maybe James Madison moving on to a, you know, a, a, a top six club and um, they've just gone... 
strength to strength, Leicester, despite losing um, Ben Chilwell, which obviously would have been a, a big loss for them. Um, they just got some wicked fellas. Uh, uh, they've just got some wicked players in there. I like Yuri Tielemans as well. I think he's a very good player, very tidy on the ball. Um, but. Jamie Vardy, well, that's a man who deserves a few superlatives at the age of 34. I don't think, I don't think there's a better English striker, I'll be honest. I think he's better than Harry Kane, uh, even at this age. His energy, the way he plays in between the lines, um, his confidence, everything. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the second goal he scored in that game was fantastic. But um, the way he won the penalty, just the spaces he plays in between the centre-halves, the way he can get in behind... Um, Guy is phenomenal, and, and and I really, I really, really enjoy watching them. And I don't get bored of watching Leicester. They're hammering in goals. Uh, the counter attack is absolutely lethal, and they just grew into the game. I don't think I, I, I think Man City were poor, but I think it would be very disingenuous to say Leicester weren't full value for their victory. I know you said it was they got three penalties. It was it was three penalties that they, they you know like you said they had to work for them. Um, and yeah, you we got to see uh, a Pep Guardiola side concede five goals for the first time. So that also raised a lot of interesting questions, I think. So just, um, you may know the answer. So this was the second time someone had scored a hat-trick past a Pep side. Do you know who was the last player to score a hat-trick past a Pep side? It was also Jamie Vardy, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It was Jamie Vardy, that is correct. See, the guy's got unbelievable records. And you think he was playing on the parks until he was... He's twenty four years of age. He really is. He's just a phenomenal, um, phenomenal player and a phenomenal story. And I, I'd, lo- I'd love to meet him because I think he's, he's a very down to earth guy. I just like how professional he seems. His body language, you can tell, he really means business when he steps on a football pitch. You know, and um, he might go down as Le- Leicester's greatest ever player by the time he's finished. I, I agree. One thing, by the way, which I kind of jumped on when people were talking about Harvey Barnes, is. Leicester, you're talking about t- players playing for top six sides. Currently, Leicester look like they are a top six side. To be fair, well, yeah, it was a. I don't know who made the comment that uh, kind of outraged you, didn't it, a few weeks ago? Jermaine Genius, yeah. I I don't I don't forget these friends. Yeah, ha- Harvey Barnes, great talents, but I have to agree with you. He, he's already playing. I think at the club, which is correct for his level, he's going to get a game time in Brendan Rodgers. They've got. Top class manager, but one of the best coaches, I think, in world football. He really improves players. He's managed to, you know, get a Jamie Vardy back playing to how he was when they were winning the league, you know, and, and reignited that sort of form. Um, they dusted off the likes of losing Mares, you know, that seems a distant, a distant past that, 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 that title winning side. And, and, and what Rodgers has managed to do there, their playing style, the amount of goals that they're scoring. Uh, they can play possession football, or they're brilliant on the counter. I think you're right. They 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 are a, a a top six club in a sense. But this is kind of touching on what I was saying before, Owen, about I think the Premier League, the strength in the Premier League now is is um, something quite frightening. And I think if you consider the likes of Leicester, and I always put Wolves in that bracket, and you now have Everton coming back into the fold, you're looking at you know. Eight or nine teams that are really, really strong and could all be fighting for anything between a third and fourth spot to the last Europa League spot, I think. And I, I don't think we've had that in many seasons in, in, in the Premier League where we've had 
you know, it used to be the traditional top four. Now we're looking at eight teams who um, were probably as strong as any of those top four teams were back in the day. I know money and a lot of a lot of other things have influenced this, of course. Nevertheless, I think the modern game in the Premier League now is at such an unbelievable level and Leicester really proved that um, the other night against City because, you know, like I said, City were bad, but Leicester were brilliant. Also, the thing is, right, throwing money at something doesn't mean that you'll succeed. I mean, look at Man City. Um, they lost 5-2 and they've thrown a hell of a lot more cash at their side than Leicester. Um Look at um, Chelsea, they fought in loads of money um, at their side and they had a very struggling start to the season. Yeah, it's very true. And I think, I mean, look, let's, let's touch a little bit on Manchester City now that we, we've talked about Leicester. I mean, um, I don't know a Manchester City fan. I don't know, I don't know many people that actually do. Um, I know a few. Oh, you know a few, there we are. But you've got loads of football mates. I think you've just got loads of more mates than me in general, haven't you? Very popular character, aren't you? Where? It's because I'm not a wanker. <laughs> I just choose not to hang around with Manx. Nah, I'm joking. I've got, I've got loads of United friends, to be fair. But um, no, Manchester City. So yeah, I, I can't say that I've spoken to a City fan about the the current feeling within, within the, the, the fan base or within the club or within the squad. Um, but they've had a... I mean, that was a very indifferent game for them. Let, let, let's be fair. We've not seen Pep Guardiola's side concede five goals before. Had a very good win against Wolves in the opening weekend. Um, and, you know, essentially, we're given the excuse that every team is still playing their pre-season at the moment. I'm not, I don't believe that. These are all professional footballers who train six days a week in very, you know, the facilities and the coaching and the nutrition and everything behind them. The professionalism these days, you can't even go out on the piss because of COVID. I don't think it's that hard to keep yourself fit. And Manchester City came out of the blocks against Wolves last week and then this week seemed to be always still in uh, pre-season mode or ever. I'm not quite buying that. I just don't think the team is is at where it was last season and certainly even the season before. And I'm not really sure how many of those uh, bad results, particularly towards the end of last season, the Champions League exit to, to Lyon, for example, how much of an effect that would have had on this current crop of players. They were missing uh, Imeric Laporte from, from the back four. They had Eric Garcia, who was donning a scrum cap for the game, um, which is not something you often see. And new boy Nathan Ake, 40 million quid, as you, as you said, Owen, playing at centre-half. And with Menzi and Kyle Walker playing wing-backs. Now, that doesn't seem like a Premier League winning defence to me. And as you said, that's almost £400 million worth of kit they got uh, back there. Um, with another lad coming in from Portugal for another £50 million. So, it's... It was con- it, I mean, if I was a Manchester City fan, I think I would be quite concerned. Their, their, their best player, arguably, on the day was Fernandinho, who's 35, and he got substituted on almost an hour. So there's a lot to talk about here, isn't there? I know I'm going off on various points, but I think Manchester City is a very interesting predicament at the moment. And they could either go, you know, as we predict, or it could go very south this season. I still don't know what, what to make my mind up. There is a lot there. I'll not really cover it completely because... Uh, but yeah, you're right. Their defence clearly isn't as good as it should be. Um, I thought Eric Garcia was dreadful. I really don't think Mendy is good enough for that level. I said it on a podcast not that long ago. I, I don't get how he still plays at that level. As I said, he seems like a very likeable man, but he's not 
a top top level um footballer um so yeah that's what another thing i would say is although they beat wolves 3-1 on another day um wolves could have drawn that game or even won it because they had plenty of chances um they just didn't score and they, then when they did score, they scored probably a little bit too late to get back into the game. I think if you put it into context, though, it was the first game of the season and Wolves had already played and they've had European football. It was a good result for Manchester City. You, you can't deny that. For a fir- and when you look at how it went for the other Manchester club on their opening day uh, over the weekend, you, you know, I, I think they had a very good result. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, what, all I'm saying is they didn't... It wasn't like they ruled over Wolves, is all I'm saying. It wasn't like the first week of the season they looked really impressive. And then against Leicester, they were terrible. I think um, they they maybe played at a similar level in both matches. It's just that Leicester pounced on their mistakes. Well, it was something that you said before we recorded, Owen, and I we kind of cut it short because we obviously wanted to cover it on here, but... You, you you said you don't even you don't believe that Manchester City are maybe even the second best team in England at the moment, and I just wanted to know what maybe why 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 you 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 felt that why I feel that well because they they're really inconsistent. I I could say Man City aren't the second best team in the league, and I know for well that they could end up winning next weekend five six no, but for me that's why. I'm saying this is because they're too inconsistent. They don't seem to kind of have an 11 that they're happy with. They don't seem to kind of feel like a team um, that can be solid for a long period of time. I think if you say, if you compare them to Leicester, for example, I think Leicester have a very strong side. They have a very consistent 11 that um, Brendan Rodgers is happy with. And I think if Leicester keeps players fit and they can keep firing, then I don't see how Leicester won't finish above Man City this season. So what do you think's contributed to the lack of consistency and stuff, though? Because I've noticed they don't seem to have that sort of, they, you know, those really uh, imposing sort of figures in the Man City team anymore. You know, with no Aguero playing through the middle. Um, I mean, you know, of course, Kevin De Bruyne is still there. No Vincent Company at the back. Um, they don't feel like that that machine that they were before, you know? To be honest with you, you've taken the um, words completely out of my mouth. Vincent Company at the back um, has not been replaced and probably should should have they should have looked at replacing him the year before he left and he's not been replaced. I remember thinking um, when Vincent Company was in this prime, you weren't winning if Vincent Company was in that Man City team because he was so good. And he was so consistent. Sergio Aguero is another one. As you say, I think he's too old now to play consistently. Well, he picks up too many um, little injuries. Um, they definitely should have replaced him already. I was actually thinking, strangely, because these are the things I think about when um, I'm going to sleep at night, why they didn't sign, um, why they didn't sign Haaland when, uh, when he was available, when Man United obviously went for him and he went to Dortmund. I'm surprised that Man City didn't try and look at him because for me he would have been a great replacement. Well, do you think they're still back in? Do you think they're still back in Jesus? It seems like they're still back in Jesus, but um, I'm not even really sure that he's the same type of player. I think you could sort of sign someone like Haaland and play um, Jesus in the same team. I think he's just not enough of a out and out kind of goal scorer that Sergio Aguero. Yeah, they need somebody like Bobby Firmino, don't they? 
And then another one um, I wanted to pick on was um, Raheem Sterling is another player who is very good, but he also seems to be quite inconsistent at the moment. I think I think there's a massive um, there's a lot of burden on his shoulders now, isn't there, to be the guy creating as well as scoring. You think David Silva's another one we didn't mention there, who's now gone. Yeah, I, I maybe that is having some sort of impact on Sterling's. Uh, uh, performances that he has to create and finish as opposed to he was always the end product he would always be the last move man on the passing move and things like that they've lost Leroy Sane as well um, but yeah I think you're right maybe a dip in form uh, and, and also there's a lot of players there who I think uh, uh, you know like I said Fernandinho you know he's still one of their best players and he's 35 and you I think you know a point that you're touching on there is how haven't they started to replace some of these players I don't think Rodri is you know on the ball I don't think he, he's, he's all right at passing and stuff but he's very slow he doesn't turn very quickly um, and the vet the pace that he brings the pace of the game right down for Manchester City and I just don't think they got that right blend I think you you, you were spot on about so before we move, we we talk natter the bodies for far too long now. But before we go on, I mean, is this Guardiola's last season? Do you get that feeling? I had hundred and ten percent. It's his last season. I would be absolutely gobsmacked if he's a Man City manager this time next year. Be interesting to see who goes through next as well. Really, really will. Um. So yeah, the next game we wanted to touch on anyway, as as a. Uh, which was something that took us all by surprise, I think, and probably one of the most entertaining games of the weekend, I think would be fair to say, was the uh, the West Bromwich Albion and, and, and Chelsea fixture. What did you make of that barnstorming game? Yeah, it was fun, right? It was fun. Um, I, um, our um, friend of the podcast, Harry, I actually messaged him at half-time and said, you must be enjoying that. And he was like, oh, shit, I'm not actually watching it. I'll need to put it on. So... Um, I think the fact that a, that a West Bromwich season ticket holder wasn't even watching it kind of explains what they were expecting the match, how they were expecting the match to end. Um, but yeah, no, it was good. Um, I I don't like to say this because obviously I have a bit of a soft spot for West Brom because a good friend of mine is a big West Brom fan, but I just can't see... Whoa, 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 hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You don't feel that way about Liverpool? Yeah, but that's because you're not a good enough friend. I was going to say, it must be a friendship thing. You bastard. <laughs> no, it's because, you know, like, I don't have a um, a rivalry with West Brom. I, if it wasn't... He doesn't ram it down your throat like I do, it, does he? Let's be fair. He's a very polite young man, is Harry. Um... But what I wanted to say was, although West Brom obviously went 3-0 up in this game, they just, def- defensively, they're not very good. You, sh- you should never be thrown away a three-goal lead. Um, and Chelsea probably could have won this game as well had they got the equaliser five minutes earlier. Yeah, it was impressive from Chelsea uh, in parts. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it's any sort of surprise Chelsea have struggled at the back. We, we, we were discussing it before the, the season kicked off. They've gone so top-heavy again. Very similar to Manchester United in that respect. Maybe maybe bought in the areas they were already strong in. Um, not really addressed those core issues. Uh, Caballero's in goals for Kepa. They still shipped three goals, so might have not Kepa may feel a little bit better about himself. Obviously, they've now got Eduard Mendy who's coming in. Be interesting to see if he can maybe shore up the defence a little bit. Thiago Silva, an absolute howler. Um 
you know, slip in very much in uh, Stevie G fashion. Uh, unfortunately for him, um, yeah, I had a dreadful debut. Shipped three goals in the first half, and then he was actually substituted, and then they actually came back and won the game. I've got my reservations about Thiago Silva anyway. I've said it on the pod. I genuinely don't think he's come to the league at the right time. There's no doubt that he's a very experienced defender. You know, almost hundred caps for Brazil, won it all with PSG or whatever. Um, he's come to the league at a completely wrong time in his career. You feel it is when he's lost all of his pace and. And uh, yeah, I just think he, he he was completely out of his depth uh, on the weekend, albeit it was his first game. Um, but yeah, I did have a little chuckle to myself when he slipped. But yeah, I think you're right, West Brom, Slavin Bilic will be fucking kicking himself that uh, that they threw away that three points. They were very impressive in, 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 a, in a lot of what they did, West Brom. But um, you need to get points at home. That's the first thing you need to do if you're going to stay up. And you like you said, if you 3 it up, you cannot be giving those leads away. Um even with Chelsea's front line, they should have been doing a lot better. Oh, so the other thing was they went 3-0 up at half-time and as soon as Chelsea made it 3-1, they, they, yeah, they, they were only ever going to be goal scorers um, from players in the Chelsea top. Although, obviously, calling that a Chelsea top's a disgrace because that football shirt's... Worst kit of the season. And then there's there's been a few this year. There is, yeah, that is a few. And that's saying something. I'm not sure it's a worse kit if you look at Man United's um, Zebra kit. I think it's worse than the Zebra one. I'll say that. I I think it goes it goes probably um, that Chelsea kit, then the United kit, and then that Arsenal kit, which looks like a Raspberry Ripple. They played it against Liverpool. Oh, I actually love that Arsenal kit. I really like it. Do you like it? Yeah, I'm a little bit like that. I'm a little bit on the fence with it. Um, Hector Bellerin looks like a wanker with it anyway. Um... <laughs> So anyway, uh, we, we'll move on now. So um, I think it would only be right uh, that we, we do our usual bit and cover the, the remaining fixtures in the league going. Um, we won't be able to go into great depth because we've, we've had a pretty long pod this week already. Um, so yeah, as we've, we, we discussed, uh, we'll, go, we'll start with the Saturday fixtures. The early kickoff was the Brighton and Manchester United game. As we said, Brighton, very lively, very bright. Um, unlucky, really, not to get anything from the game. I think unlucky probably doesn't do that justice. They they, they, they were really good and they, they should have had something from this game. But Man United, credit to them, taking three points um, in a game where they probably shouldn't have is always a good sign. Uh, Crystal Palace and Everton, again, another game that we touched on there, big penalty incident, um, really swayed the game. Everton starting keeping that 100% record after their recent signings. Um, Palace won their opening two games at uh, weekend. Games of the season. Um, we'll be a bit disappointed to have lost this one. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that game, though? No, just the fact that Everton, as they got, I although we don't actually think it is controversial. Roy Hodgson's just a uh, dull lad, so the less said about him, the better, really. And yeah, Everton deserved to win. So well done, Everton, in that one. Yeah, uh, as we said, then it was covered. Uh, we had the West Brom and Chelsea game, which we just covered. Um, Burnley lost one uh, 0 at home to Southampton. Big three points for for Southampton up there. Um, can't say I watched that that game, but any anything to, that you could touch on with there, Owen? Well, yeah, um, that boy Danny Hinn scored early on, and um, I actually don't really know how Burnley are going to do this season. They never really were. Did a lot in this game. I kind of only half watched this game, if I'm honest, but I did watch it. And Southampton were the better team, but yeah, it was pretty boring, if I'm honest. Southampton deserved a victory. Burnley are a bit kind of hit and miss. What's kind of interesting 
is with Burnley, Sean Dyche is, keeps jumping up and down about, about the fact that he doesn't have any money and he never actually made a substitution in this match. Um, so clearly doesn't trust his bench. Yeah, and he's lost players like Jeff Hendrick to, to Newcastle. He's a big player for them. Um, and we know they, they work on a sort of shoestring budget, don't they, at Burnley? And um, listen, we always go into it singing, uh, thinking that Burnley may, may struggle or this may be there, and they always find a way, don't they? So um, credit to Sean Dyche. I just think when when you've tried to become an established Premiership side and they've been in the Premier League for longer than Newcastle United, it's a little bit... Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think it's a little bit embarrassing when you've got a player of the quality of Jeff Hendrick and you're losing him to Newcastle United. I mean, really, you should be going for the same players as Newcastle United in terms of where you are in the league and as as an established Premier League side. So it's, I don't know, is it just that they don't want to build any further on what, what they've got? I mean, that opens up a, another tin of worms there, doesn't it? I think Newcastle are definitely a better resourced club, despite Mike Ashley being the tightest bastard in football. Um, the, 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 the size of the club, the fan base, the revenues, everything ties into that. Burnley, uh, a Premier League team, sub, which are you know essentially running and resourced like a championship club, and, and they've done that better than anybody else has ever been able to do it. So... You know, who knows? And like you said, Owen, having having money and having those sort of targets doesn't necessarily make you a better club. And they've always proved that. Uh, so we look to Sunday now anyway. Uh, the Leeds and Sheffield was the first game uh, in, in that kickoff. Leeds, um, continuing their strong start to the season, uh, managed to get their first clean sheet as well, which would have been, um, I'm sure, delighted Marcelo Bielsa. Um Leeds have just looked brilliant, haven't they? Since they've come up, it, it doesn't seem like they've had any issues with fitness or anything. Straight into it. Sheffield, on the other hand, um, playing, unfortunately, Owen, how you predicted they, they probably would do. I'm, I'm sorry to say it. No, I... When people have to go down and there has to be the three worst teams in the league, so, yeah, I guess I'm not really sorry to say it, actually. Um... I, it kind of pleases me. I hope that Chris Wilder is crying into his cup of tea and his pint of Carlin every night. I, I love you, Wilder. In all so. seriousness, though, they've started the season poorly. And in Ramsdale, they've obviously brought in Ramsdale to replace Henderson, who's gone back to Man United. And it kind of makes you think that having a really good goalkeeper does can get you so many points in a season. And Ramsdale's just not at the same level as Henderson. No, and, and it has sort of been a baptism of fire for him, hasn't it? And I think a lot of um, Sheffield had a lot of momentum uh, last season. They were fresh. Um, they had new ideas, obviously a style of play which people maybe weren't so familiar with. Played with lots of guts. They worked really hard um, and were a joy to watch at times. And I think they just shocked teams. I don't think losing a game... Not that it didn't matter so much to them, but it's just with the level of expectation that you have, isn't it? Um, Sheffield were, were up in the Premier League for the first time last season and enjoying every single fixture that, that, that they played in and, and, and they embraced it this season, as well as maybe uh, the post-lockdown stuff as well, when um, you know they came back after the, after the break. They really, really struggled for form then, didn't they? Um, and I suppose maybe this is you know a carryover from that. 
also maybe not being able to strengthen in the same way other clubs do. We know the resources aren't the same at Sheffield. Um, and like you said, losing a top quality goalkeeper like Henderson and maybe not replacing him makes all the difference. But um, I fancy Sheffield to still make a fist of it. And so that's what I would say. Yeah, we should see. And as you say, so in Chris Wilder, they've clearly got a boss who is a good coach and he knows how to get a good team together. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't make a fist of it. You know, he knows those players, the way they play. They, you know, they were very, they were all about the unit and not about the man, aren't they, Sheffield? And and I think so that very similar to Burnley in that sense and Sean Dyche, that sort of mentality and the um, siege mentality that those little clubs play with gets them a very long way. So next up, Spurs and Newcastle. Already touched on this game slightly, didn't we? With the uh, the basically horrendous handball into the, which robbed Spurs of the the three points. That was also followed by the Manchester City and Leicester game, which we has also covered. Sorry, just one. Sorry, sorry. Just before we uh, one thing on Newcastle. Did you know that they've got more points and shots on target this season? That 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 is probably the stat of the day. I didn't know that. You kept that one there loaded, didn't you? Ready to go? Uh no. I I just came to my head again when you were talking about Newcastle drawing one one. To be honest, are these these are like some of the things you think about before you go to sleep, aren't they? They're just flooded with football stats. You count stats instead of sheep before he goes to sleep, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so yeah, last game on Sunday evening, um, surprising I would say, to say the least, Jared Bowen had a fantastic game in what was a 4-0 win for West Ham over Wolves. I caught the first two goals of this game um, and then I flicked over because I felt a bit guilty for the misses to be honest with you as she'd already had a, a weekend feast of football. Um, so uh, yeah, I can't actually comment really uh, on anything past the two the two goals that I watched but Jared Bowen was exceptional. Um, in, in, in the parts that I did see obviously a lad who's come up from the championship was doing fantastic at Hull when they were struggling and um, he's, he's adapted really well to the Premier League hasn't he he's one of those probably unspoken success stories of a championship player coming up to the the Prem um, the thing is like you, um, you've you talked about how you expect Wolves to be kind of a top 6 top 8 side so for them to lose 4-0 at West Ham that's a big blow for them and West Brom, West Ham were by far the better team throughout the match. Um, and what I thought was interesting is uh, Antonio, um, the boy who's a terrible striker, as you say, um, he came off right at the end for Hala, and then Hala goes and makes it 4-0. So it shows that they've got some kind of um, strength and depth there as well. And yeah, no, I was very... I thought, I thought overall, I thought West Ham... Played very well in this match, more than deserved a four 0 victory, and they they had a really tough start to the season. And I thought I said on the podcast last week that I thought they could be in serious trouble, but this was kind of a prov- uh, the kind of performance that makes you think that they can quite comfortably stay in this league. It shocked me. I'll be I'll, I'll be honest, and um, thank you for mentioning the Mikel Antonio thing because. This podcast has highlighted that I might actually know fuck all about football. I, I, I said Antonio can't play up front, and I also said that I think Mikel Arteta will uh, will struggle as a as, as a football manager at Arsenal, which is something I I'll come on to next. But the the game that happened on Monday prior to the Liverpool Arsenal game was um, was Fulham and Aston Villa. Fulham really struggled in this game. Um, the game the go the game was over by forty eight minutes I think fifty minutes in, um, Villa carrying over what was a good cup result for them, uh, in midweek, uh, into this game Villa look a lot well they look so well rounded compared to, 
uh, how they did last season. Obviously, Jack Grealish being the main man uh, at the forefront of things again. John McGinn fit and playing in that preferred role of his in the centre. You've got Ollie Watkins working hard up front now as well. They were real good to watch uh, to Villa, and, and they, they really they just outplayed Fulham um, completely. Yeah, one thing I would say, while we were a little bit on the fence this early in the season about some teams and how they would do, I actually can't really, really cannot see Fulham staying in this league. Uh, but yeah, Villa played really well. Well done, Phil. They're generally... I keep an eye out for them because I love John McGinn. Um, I don't actually have... I don't think anybody could have... I don't think anybody's picked up on that. If I was to have posters in, in my house, they would be of John McGinn. Um, and he got two assists in this game. And he also had a fantastic piece of skill that if Soccer AM still do, like, whatever it's called, um, they sure bought in... It would definitely be on it. I don't know if they still do it because, you know, I've got better things to do with my Saturday morning than watch it. But yeah, John McGinn played really well. Jack Grealish played really well. Um, Tyron Mintz actually got a goal and a clean sheet. Um, so that was good for him. But what I was going to say is that Fulham, um, that Villa generally, um, although they do pick up points that here and there, they're they don't score a lot of goals, so to score three goals was really important for them as well, and I think it would give them a lot of confidence. Definitely, and uh, I like Dean Smith. Villa, he's a Villa man through and through, isn't he? And um, he's, he, he, you know, he's 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 done a really good job, and and they 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 deserve to have had this opportunity to to play in the Premier League again this season, simply based off the way they fought at the end of last season. It was really, I I really liked watching Villa play, and uh, to finish off the Premier League action for this week. Uh, we were at the home of the champions. Uh, obviously Liverpool playing Arsenal uh, in a three-one victory. Um, we already discussed this game, didn't we, before coming on our win, and we won't go into to a great depth because um, I I don't know where to start and I wouldn't know where to begin. You know, I love talking about Liverpool more than everybody else. That's why I won't delve into it. You can sum it up this week, yeah. So um, Liverpool Arsenal. In some ways, it was a game of two halves because Liverpool came at Arsenal very strongly in the first half and Arsenal didn't know what to do and they just sat back and sat back although they did get a lucky goal to go ahead in this game Liverpool then fought back and although Arsenal came at them in the second half Liverpool dealt with it quite comfortably and then Jota obviously got put it um, put it to bed right in the last minute but overall this was a very solid performance by Liverpool a very professional performance against a very good Arsenal side and it was maybe the type of performance that makes you think, wow, is there really anyone who can get close to this Liverpool side currently on this form at least? Yeah, you know my feelings. I, I think I, I obviously had my reservations before the season began. There's a lot of pressure to replicate what we've done in the last couple of seasons. But um, if you consider there was no Thiago or Henderson playing in this game as well, um, the impact Yota had when he came off of the bench... Um, probably could have had two goals if it wasn't for Mo Salah being a greedy little bugger. Um, he was very comfortable, and yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't see us not winning the league again anyway. Um, or oh, that is my hope. Um, but we shall see. The season is long, and we're only three games in, but it is looking good on Merseyside for both sides. One thing I would say before we move on, I said, uh, I've said it to you personally, and I think I'll, I'm going to say it on the pod. I think whoever wins the league will win the league with less than 90 points. 
And Joel wants to bet me on this, but I'm not going to bet him because I'll probably lose. But that's just my prediction. Yeah, my wager is I think Liverpool will get more than 90 points. I just can't see them dropping um, too, too many anyway. I, I haven't seen anybody who's convincing enough to say they may drop six or, or nine points. But then we were at this point, we, you know, we're only three games in. We can't get too ahead of ourselves. And they were as good as they were last season. You know, they... they they still drop points there. But I, I definitely think another 90-point season is on the cards. Um, so anyway, let's finish up now, Owen. We, we, we won't do our predictions because we just simply do not have time. I think it would only be right that we go and do our Scottish section before we finish up. So I will leave it over to you. Um, or would you like me to announce the fixtures uh, or the results, should I say, and you can maybe give us a little bit more depth. Just a quick, give us a quick fire what you saw of the game. So our Saturday fixtures were uh, Ham- Hamilton Academical uh, versus Dundee United. That finished 1-0. Uh, Livingston beat St Johnston 2-0. While St Merrin lost 1-0 to Kilmarnock. Any standout performance in there for you, Owen? Dundee United drew with Hamilton. And Shanklin scored early on in this game. And this was a game that really Dundee United would feel that they should be winning. Hamilton came back and I think it's Dundee United have just been a little bit weak the last few weeks and it started to show some of uh, the weaknesses you'd expect from a side who have just been promoted to the, to the um, Premier League. Hamilton have been Hamilton and they're just solid. In someone like David Tempton, they've got a midfielder who's maybe a step above most other players within the squad and he can make the difference when games aren't going for them. Um, Livingston St Johnston Livingston started the season poorly but they finally have got going and they're starting to show why they finished in the top six last season so yeah um, anyone stands out to me from from Livingston one person I guess would be Alan Forrest who bagged himself a goal in this game and he looks like he could be a pretty decent wee player and his brother actually plays for Celtic um, so it's funny because they look very similar on the pitch um, also in other Livingston news, Effie Ambrose and Marvin Bartley have now become re- reserve team coaches and they're big um, footballers who have a big history in Scottish football. Um, St Mirren Kilmarnock. St Mirren are side that are sitting rock bottom of the, well not rock bottom, but are sitting bottom of the Premier League. And um, Kilmarnock just kind of um, chipping away and look like a team that could get a top six finish this season. Uh, Kabamba scored in this game. He was a signing from non-league down in England. Often when you watch him, he doesn't look very good, but he seems to be finding a bit of form this season. So yeah, my take on the Saturday matches. And then on the Sunday fixtures, we had uh, Motherwell pasted at home against the ever-impressive Rangers. We had Celtic, sorry then, up against Hibernian. Not a fixture for you this one, was it, pal? Um, Hibernian suffering a 3-0 loss after what was a good result against Rangers last week. And my team for the season, Aberdeen, uh, beating my uh, my good friend Tom's team, Ross County, 3-0, which I had a nice little message about on my WhatsApp. Uh, who, who stood out for you, Owen? So Rangers back to form. They won 4-0 in Europe. And they beat Mavua 5-1. They generally were just a step above Mavua. It's not that Mavua are that poor side. It's just that Rangers are just another level. They got two penalties in this match, but 
it like that doesn't really matter. They won the game so comfortably. They look pretty solid all over the park. Um, I wouldn't say there's a particular player that I would say stood out. I just think overall they were a very good solid unit. Um, then I guess we're going to have to go to Celtic Hibs. Yeah, no, I'll be fair. Celtic won this game 3-0. No. Neil Lennon said afterwards it was one of the best performances he's ever seen from his Celtic side. But I think that's maybe because he's got links with Hibs and he was being very respectful of his opponents. Um, Hibs defensively could have been better, which is a bit odd considering how good defensively they've been all season. But I'm sure they'll bounce back. Uh, Ross County Aberdeen, by all accounts, Aberdeen um, dominates this game from start to finish and probably could have won by more than the three goals they did win. This was another game with two penalties in it, so it's not just in England that we love a penalty. Um, and Marley Watkins got a goal as well. Um, I'm pretty certain he's got a Welsh cap as Marley Watkins. And yeah, no, Aberdeen more than deserved a 3 no victory in this game. Um, and it was an impressive performance to Vandal for the weekend, really. Indeed. And that'll be us for an impressive uh, week's pod, I think. Um, we've had a lot to cover this week. A hell of a lot to cover. But we hope you've enjoyed it. Do you mind if I give you some good news, just very briefly before we head? Well, I'm always up for some good news, Owen. We're back in lockdown now, mate, so any good news is welcome. So good, the good news from the week is there was a Scottish footballer called Aaron Hickey who um, was the subject of bids from a host of clubs, including Bayern Munich, in the summer. Uh, he ended up going to Bologna in Serie A. And so he made his debut over the weekend and he made his debut in a 4-1 victory against Palmer and he was substituted with 10 minutes left and he came off to a standing ovation because there was fans at this match. So as he's a young 18-year-old, made his debut in Serie A, got a standing ovation and so yeah, so well done to him. And just to point, just a fun fact, one of his teammates at Bologna is um, Gary Madal. Ah, yes. Gary Medell. Absolute nutter. Great player, though. And also, I suppose the main good news would be there are a return to fans. There's been fans in the stadiums in Germany as well. I watched um, Hoffenheim do Bayern Munich 4-1. That was an interesting game. But then again, uh, yeah, football football without fans isn't the same, is it? So it was nice to see. But yeah, thank you for listening to us anyway. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed the material. As always, please give us a like or a share or just something on, on the socials to show us that you care. We will always be appreciative of that. And uh, we hope that you listen to us again soon. Yeah, thank you so much and goodbye for now. Right, Harry, did you see that ludicrous display last night? <laughs> Can he tee up someone in red? And he goes to one! It's one trapper!